It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. A postseason edition of the Ryan Hickey Show as we get you set and ready to go for Wild Card Weekend. Super Wild Card Weekend as we got two extra teams now for the second year in a row. Six games and, and a Monday night special now for the first time ever. A Monday night wild card uh, game between the Cardinals and the Rams. So we'll get you set for all six games. Here in just a little bit, we'll talk about the underdog most likely. Forget actually most likely. The underdog that's going to win this weekend. Who is going to cause chaos in the NFL? We'll discuss that as well. Congratulations to the University of Georgia and all of their fans. Winning their first national title since 1980. It's been a very long drought. It's been a very painful road. But Kirby Smart was able to win his first national title. So now the question is, who's next? Who's going to be the next head coach in college football to win their first title? I got an answer. We'll do that in 20 minutes or so from now. And because Black Monday is coming gone, it extended into Black Tuesday with the firing of Joe Judge and the Giants. Which head coaching opening or which head coach opening in the NFL is the most attractive, is the best? And likewise, which one's the least? Which one should coaches try to avoid? Well, we got answers. We'll tell you that in an hour or so from now. Of course, it's a Thursday. Hickey's Pickies will be in an hour and 20 minutes from now, 1020 a.m. Eastern. So as you can tell, a loaded, loaded show. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, Hot Heroes, and Phenomenal Dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So Wild Card Weekend is set to commence on Saturday. First game is the Bengals and the Raiders. So let's kind of go through some, I don't know if we want to call them awards. I don't know if we you know, kind of want to go through that route, but let's just talk about at least some predictions and some outcomes that I'm either predicting or looking forward to. How about right out of the gate, the underdog that is going to win? Who is going to pull an upset this weekend? I think the team that's going to do it, the 49ers. I think the 49ers are going into Dallas and beating the Cowboys this weekend. Here's why. I think, number one, they are a bad matchup for the Cowboys. They come in with a style of football that is really conducive to winning the playoffs, running the ball, and getting after the quarterback. They are one of the hottest teams in the NFL, arguably the hottest team in the NFC. Had a tremendous come-from-behind victory last week, down 17-0 in a win-in-your-in game to the Rams on the road. They do come back and eventually win that game in overtime. And kind of going back to what we're talking about with the run. The run game, to me, is going to be huge here for San Francisco. As we know, they are a predominantly run-first team. Kyle Shannon loves to ground and pound, loves to get a lot of explosive plays through the run game. He'll do it with his running backs. He'll do it with Debo Samuel now, who's basically a hybrid playmaker, receiver, running back, quarterback, throwing touchdown passes. He does it all. 
But last week, you had the 49ers run for 135 yards on the ground. You had Jimmy Garoppolo play a really good game. But running the ball also helps you do what? Helps you chew up the clock and slow down an opposing offense while also tiring out the defense. And speaking of defense, when you look at the Cowboys' defense, let's call for what it is. They have improved drastically from 2020 to 2021. They have been tremendous. Trayvon Diggs is a ball hawk uh, in the secondary. Micah Parsons has been a revelation to this defense. Great off-the-ball linebacker. He's a tremendous pass rusher. He's been able to kind of really do it all and really been a a catalyst for this Cowboys defense in terms of all their success. They have a, a really solid front four. It's able to get to the quarterback. But for all of the praise that we want to give the Cowboys defense, I think also it's kind of kind of time to call for what it is. It's an average defense. Like it is, it's so much better than what it was last year, but that also doesn't mean it's a dominant defense. They're just 19th in total defense. Now, a big reason for their success, a big reason why they've been able to, you know, kind of get their name um, in the headlines a lot is because they force turnovers. That's how the game changes, right? They are their plus 14 turnover differential is tied for first in the NFL. They lead the NFL in takeaways. They are ball hawks, forcing fumbles, getting picks, making other teams force mistakes. And as you know, one of the quickest ways to flip a game, especially a playoff game, is turnovers, forcing them and not, you know, creating them if you're an offense. But when they're not getting turnovers, when teams and opposing offenses are taking care of the ball, This Cowboys defense is just okay. It's not great. I think that's not a good sign when you are facing an explosive offense like you are in San Francisco that right now is kind of hitting on all cylinders. So I do think they're going to be able to establish the run, kind of pound it down their throat, and control the line of scrimmage that way. And also, not only does that obviously help the 49ers get going offensively, I think it also helps the 49ers defense because now you give less time and less opportunities for Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb and Tony Powell and Ezekiel and Amari Cooper to get on the field. And speaking of them getting on the field, I don't know about you, I am still not sold on this Dallas offense. Like, yes, they played tremendous in their Week 18 game against the Eagles where the Eagles literally didn't want to play the game. They, just, they rested all their important starters. They kind of just took that game and just kind of threw it out the window. And yes, they put up a, was a 56 spot on the Washington football team on Sunday football a few weeks ago. Like, it was impressive. But other than that, this Cowboys defense has left a lot, I mean, this Cowboys offense, I feel like has left a lot to be desired when you look at the names on this offense. When you look at the perceived talent on this offense. Like, on paper, they are, they are one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL. Statistically, they are at the tops in the NFL in terms of yards per game, in terms of scoring average, excuse me. When you truly look at the numbers, when you dive deep and see what they're doing, it's not that impressive. Like, since the bye week, their bye week is after week six. Dak Prescott has regressed since the bye week. If you look at his average passing yards per game, if you look at his completion percentage, if you look at his passer rating, they all have dipped since the bye than what they were before the bye. If you look at the offense as a whole... The first six games of the season, the Cowboys offense scored at least 29 points in five out of the six games. The one game they didn't, ironically, was the second game of the year against the Chargers. They won 20-16. to So the one game they weren't truly explosive, they still won. But through the first six games of the season, 29 or more points in five out of the six games, they were scoring at a very high clip. Well, since the bye... 
the last 11 games of the season, they've only scored 29 or more points four times. That's it. Four times. So when you look at the stats, look at the numbers. Oh, man, this Cowboys offense is one of the best in the NFL. But when we're truly looking at it, when they are going against playoff caliber teams, they shrink. They're not that good. They do leave a lot to be desired. So I think when you look at this matchup from the standpoint of the 49ers going to be able to run the ball, I think they're going to be able to run it and run it well, eat up clock, tire out this defense, keep the Cowboys offense on the field. And now when the Cowboys offense does get on the field, I'm not sold that they're going to be able to put up 30 points against this 49ers defense. They're coming, they're coming around the uh, San Francisco's defenses. They're still able to get to the quarterback. The secondary is growing. I think this is a bad matchup for the Cowboys. I think the 49ers are going into Dallas and getting the upset. So the team that's going to pull off the upset, San Francisco 49ers. How about the team this weekend, just this weekend, with the most pressure on them to win? I think it's the Buffalo Bills. Remember, this was supposed to be now the Bills' time to run the AFC East and kind of, you know, be right up there with the Chiefs in terms of running the AFC. Right, Josh Allen really evolved last year in 2020, and the Bills made it to the AFC title game. We thought, okay, this is going to be a Bills team now that's going to be the biggest roadblock to the Chiefs. And now, if you look at this matchup, you cannot, if you're the Bills, afford to get eliminated at home to a Patriots team that was supposed to, you know, you were supposed to overtake in the AFC East and lose for the second time in three games and the second time in six weeks. So, like, the concerning part for me for Buffalo is that they have regressed as a team in 2021 compared to 2020. Like, they are right now very one-dimensional. There's no balance with this team. They don't have a, a run game that's established at all. The defense, to me, is frauds when it comes to actually playing good offenses. They do not show up. They're not as reliable as you would think. They Again, kind of like the Cowboys offense, the stats don't really tell the full picture. So it's going to be all on Josh Allen like it was the last time these two teams played or if he is tremendous, if he is outstanding, if he is like 2020 MVP caliber Josh Allen, the Bills are going to win this game. But if he's not, if he's just okay, the Bills don't have a prayer because they can't win in multiple ways. And I think if you're the Bills, you cannot afford to lose at home to the team that, again, was supposed to take a step back. You're supposed to take over the AFCs. You're supposed to now be in the driver's seat, and you cannot lose to the Patriots. The team that's dominated you, that's supposed to be on a down year with a rookie quarterback. I think that the Bills have the most pressure on. And I'll be honest, I am worried about the weather this weekend. I'm worried about the Bills. I think this is going to be a closer game than maybe we expect, in part because I think the weather is now going to bring some equality to the field. Like Again, we talked about the Bills being a very one-dimensional team. They really can't run the ball reliably, and their defense to me kind of, especially when you tell them the run's coming, they still can't stop it. And when you look at Josh Allen's career in cold weather, it's not great. Now, it's only five games, so a small sample size. But in those five games, the Bills are 3-2. They have a winning record. But when Josh Allen has played in weather that's colder than 31 degrees, he has a 50% completion percentage, six touchdown passes, seven picks. He has not played well in the cold. Now, the game they played the first time in Buffalo where it was snowing, where the wind was like 50 miles an hour, it was actually even higher than 31. So this, that game does not even come into uh, consideration here. But we saw the Patriots just run the ball down the Bills' throw. They couldn't stop it. And offensively, they weren't able to get anything going on offense. 
This is a game that the Bills should win. You are facing a slumping Patriots team that's 1-3 in the last four. Mac Jones has struggled here in the final month of the season. you got to take advantage. The Bills need to win this game. Rams have pressure on them. Steelers have pressure. Uh, the Chiefs, excuse me, have pressure on them just not to lose to the Steelers. But I think the Bills have the most pressure on them this weekend to not screw it up. you got to beat the Patriots. You gotta keep on moving on in the playoffs. I think they have the most pressure on them to win this weekend. We talk about the team with the most pressure. How about the player with the most pressure? I think it's Matthew Stafford. This game Monday night is finally now evidence to see if the trade was worth it. Right? These are the, the games. This is the reason why the Rams traded basically two first round picks and offloaded Jared Goff to the Lions for Matthew Stafford to win postseason playoff games to get yourself closer to the Super Bowl than where you were last year with Jared Goff. And I'll be honest, I'm a Matthew Stafford believer. I picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl in the preseason. I'm not jumping off the Rams bandwagon, but I will say they aren't exactly heading into the postseason on a high note. Last four games of the season, Matthew Stafford has eight touchdown passes, eight picks. One-to-one touchdown reception ratio. Not exactly what you want kind of heading into the playoffs. You really want to be rounding into form and playing your best football of the season right now. Instead, mm, Rams are not, you know, not really doing that. Blew a 17-0 lead to the 49ers you know, in their last game there uh, on the field. Not exactly a ton of momentum right now going the way of L.A. So that's why I think a lot of it, a lot of the pressure right now is on Matthew Stafford Monday. You got to win at least one playoff game. You gotta get yourself closer to the Super Bowl this year than where you were last year, considering what you gave up and all of the moves you're able to make to get this team into Super Bowl contention. A lot of pressure on Matthew Stafford. Especially too when you look at the run game. The run game hasn't picking up. So it's not all on him like it is for Josh Allen with the Bills. All you gotta do if you're for if you're Matthew Stafford, make the throws. He's able to do it the last time the Cardinals and the Rams matched up on Monday Night Football. COVID-depleted Rams team threw for three touchdowns, had a really good game. Just don't turn the ball over. Make the throws when you got to make them. You don't have to go crazy if you're Matthew Stafford. This offense is talented. This defense has a lot of playmakers on it. Just don't be the reason why you lose. He almost has been in previous uh, games. Almost throwing the game away with a few picks. Just don't turn the ball over. I feel like it's easier said than done watching Matthew Stafford recently. I mean, he's the player with the most pressure on him this weekend. And the team I'm most excited to see, out of the six games, out of the 12 teams that are playing on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, the team I'm most excited to see is the Cincinnati Bengals. They've been one of the best and most exciting stories of the entire season. And what makes them so much fun to watch, what makes them so likable, is not only the fact that they are a high-flying offense. So you have Joe Burrow, you got Joe Mixon, you got Jamar Chase, Rookie of the Year, you got Tyler Boyd. You have T. Higgins. Like, there's a lot of skill, talent on this offense, and it's kind of Chiefs-like with the amount of offensive firepower that they have. It's not just the fact they have all these names and they're they're high flying. It's also the fact that their quarterback Joe Burrow has consistently now played his best games of the season in the biggest moments. Look at the last two games the Bengals play. Right, we're not going to count Week 18 when Brandon Allen was a starter for Cincinnati in that game against Cleveland. But the last two games Joe Burrow played, at home against the Ravens, at home against the Chiefs, he saved his best two games of his NFL career for the two biggest games 
of his career. Ravens was a, a, a chance again to the you know to be the front runner in the AFC North, and the Chiefs was to clinch the AFC North. In those two games combined, he managed to throw for 971 yards, eight touchdowns, zero picks, 78% completion percentage. It's the Ravens and the Chiefs, again, the two biggest games of Joe Burrow's career, he shined brightest. That's really encouraging. That is so much fun to watch when you see a young player developing before our eyes. That's why I can't wait. First game of the weekend, too. Sunday, uh, Saturday, 4.30 Eastern, Bengals, Raiders. I am so, so pumped to watch Joe Burrow play in a playoff game. Again, he's managed to save the best games of his career in the NFL for the big games. He did so in college as well in 2019. He's a big-time player, and that makes it so much fun to watch, and I can't wait. So I'm curious your thoughts here. We got six games. Which underdog in your mind is going to pull off the upset? Who is going to surprise the NFL world and move on with a big-time upset this weekend. Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well as where you can tweet us or check out the live stream on Twitter as well. When we return, a you know props to Kirby Smart. Georgia wins the national title, and Kirby Smart himself gets over the hump. There's only five coaches, though, in college football, when you look at it right now, that are active, that have won a national title. Who will be number six? I got my thoughts. I'll give it to you when we return. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Right Now. 15 minutes from now, is Kyrie Irving getting closer to a full-time return? My answer is yes. I'll explain why in 15 minutes or so from now. But I do want to give props to Kirby Smart. I do want to kind of talk a little college football here. Is Kirby Smart climbed the mountain, got over the hump, and did take down Alabama to win his first national title uh, as a head coach. And he joins a very, very short list. Only five current uh, active college football head coaches have won a national title. Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Mac Brown, Jimbo Fisher, and now Kirby Smart. Which head coach in your mind is the next to join that list? Which college football head coach will win their first national title next? For me, I think it's Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley at uh, USC for a few reasons. Here's why. Number one. I don't think it's going to take very long for Lincoln Riley to get things rolling at SC. Right? The quickest way to, now especially in college football, and really in any football, the quickest way to turn your team into a championship contending team, to get them from down and out to up and contenders, is having an elite quarterback. Right? It's, it's pretty simple. We saw the Bengals. Bengals are the first pick two years ago. Now they have Joe Burrow, who's steadily rising near an elite quarterback, and they are already division champs and already in the playoffs. Same thing in college football. Uh, Lincoln Riley is now going to a rebuild situation with USC. But it's not really a rebuild. It's more of a retool. Because now he is getting the quarterback play already to go to Southern California. And as we know, if you have a quarterback, you absolutely have a chance, especially in college football. 
So you already, now he's 2023 recruit, so obviously he won't be on the field this year, but five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson, who was committed to play for Riley at Oklahoma, flipped, no surprise, is now going to USC. So next year, Lincoln Riley will have a big-time quarterback. Maybe you will have to sit for a year because, look, the fact is, Caleb Williams, the former Oklahoma quarterback, is currently in the transfer portal. He left the door open for returning to the Sooners. For me, my money is he's going to USC. He's a smart man. His parents have come out and said that, you know, they're in the transfer portal looking for the best situation to get their son ready for the NFL. I think if you're Caleb Williams, when you look at what Lincoln Riley has done with Baker Mayfield, turn him from a walk-on into a Heisman Trophy winner and the number one overall pick. Looking at Kyler Murray, who's going to play baseball, turning him into a Heisman winner and a first overall pick. Taking Jalen Hurts into a quarterback that struggled to throw the ball, was more reliant on his legs at Alabama, obviously lost the job to Tua. He came in, Heisman finalist, and oh yeah, second round pick, who's now a starter in the playoffs. So if you're looking and you're talking about getting yourself ready for the pros, there is no better coach out there in college football to get you more prepared for being a top pick and having success in the NFL than Lincoln Riley. So I do think Caleb Williams, in the end, will join USC and be their starter next year. So you have a five-star quarterback starting for you next year if you're Lincoln Riley. A guy, oh yeah, by the way, you're familiar with, you coached with, who gave Oklahoma a true chance at being a national title contender when he came in for Spencer Rattler last year. He's going to be your quarterback next year. You got a five-star waiting in the wings, whether it's a year from now, two years from now. Lincoln Riley already starting stack the quarterback talent at USC. And like we said, if you have a quarterback, you have a chance. The transfer portal now makes also it easier to acquire really talented players. There's no you know rule where you get a one-time tree for, uh, free transfer. So you have to sit out a year. So now, again, you can go to the transfer portal, get some really good players, and rebuild your team quickly. Speaking of rebuilding, look where Lincoln Riley is. Southern California. One of the most fertile recruiting grounds in all of college football. Like, if we're talking realistically, Lincoln Riley, when he goes recruiting, probably doesn't have to go more than 50 miles from campus to get every single recruit he wants. You look at all of the big-time players in the NFL, uh, in college football. Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon defensive lineman, arguably maybe the number one overall pick or at least a top five pick projected in the NFL draft upcoming. Do you know where he's from? He's from USC's backyard. Mary Criswell in Oregon went down there, took him out right from under USC's nose. Guys like Matt Corral, guys like Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, all Heisman Trophy finalists, Heisman Trophy winners, really good quarterbacks that are going to go in the first round of the NFL draft, all from Southern California. You look at some of the best players in college football, and they are not at USC, by the way, are elsewhere. They are the tremendous players. There's so much talent in Southern California. But I think Lincoln Riley is the coach that's going to keep him there. No offense to Clay Helton or even Link Kiffin. That was a rocky, you know, obviously tenure there. Lincoln Riley is the guy that's going to keep the talent in Southern California. He's going to do what Pete Carroll did and kind of put a gate around the campus and make sure none of these talented guys are going to Oregon or going to Alabama or going to Clemson or Ohio State. He's going to make sure they're going to USC. So now it makes it easier to recruit, easier to attract players to your campus because they're coming right from your backyard. And I do think now an important part for Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC is he will be able to build a championship caliber defense. I get a lot of the rules favor the offense, right? Nick Saban famously said a few years ago, good defense does not be good offense anymore. But we did just see 
Kirby Smart's elite defense shut down Bryce Young. Now, they're obviously helped by you know, some injuries to the receiving core, but they were able to win by, for the most part, their defense and sets a bet and made a few plays at the end to win. But we just saw a predominantly defensive, uh, the strength of the team being the defense, win a national title. So if you're now Lincoln Riley, obviously the big Achilles here for Oklahoma in the past was their defense. They're small, they're undersized, they got bullied by teams like Alabama, got bullied by teams like Georgia, and anytime they play in the playoff, they would not win those games. Lincoln Riley's 0-3 in his playoff career. But the important part to, to realize here is that when he's at USC, or I should say when he was at Oklahoma, the reason why he never had a physical defense, the reason why he never had defenses that could match up with SEC caliber teams and even Big Ten caliber teams is because you had to build your defense to defend your conference's offense. Now, the Big 12 is an air raid offense. Texas Tech's going to throw the ball a ton. You know, um, Texas, TCU, uh, like you look at any of these teams in the Big 12, they are predominantly air raid kind of spread you out offenses that force you to defend in space. Oklahoma State. So you're going to build a defense that's going to stop your, you know, like the, the offense in your conference. You're not worried about trying to stop Alabama's offense or match your physicality because if you don't stop or if you don't match your defense to the conference's offenses, you're not even going to be in the playoff. Your big, physical, tough defense is not going to be able to be fast enough to catch some of these offenses like Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. So you have to build your offense in the eye of the conference. So now when you're at USC, if you're looking Riley, there is no Oklahoma State or Texas Tech air raid you have to worry about. It's a predominantly pretty, you know, average run-of-the-mill offense. Offense in the Pac-12. So you can build a physical defense. You can get a big hulking defensive line that's going to just maul people. That's going to be able to stop the run. You can get an offensive line that will stand pat with Alabama's defensive line, Georgia's defensive line, Ohio State's defensive line. You now can build a defense that is tougher, stronger, and bigger than anything he's ever had at Oklahoma. And that was one of the big you know, key pieces that was missing in, um, in Lincoln Riley's tenure at OU. So you look at what he's able to do so far. The, you know, he's getting quarterbacks to come play for him, so he's going to have elite quarterback play Every single year is at USC. One of the fastest ways to turn a, uh, turn a program around. He has a, an insanely fertile recruiting ground right in his backyard. He's able now to construct a defense that actually can hold up and withstand physical lumbering offenses like Alabama has, like Georgia has, like Ohio State has. And he can actually go toe-to-toe with teams physically. And oh yeah, by the way, his path to the playoff is easier than Jim Harbaugh's at Michigan. Is easier than Ryan Day's at um, at Ohio State, than Brian Kelly's at LSU. The Pac-12 right now is USC's for the taking. You look at every other conference, there's always a 1B to their 1A. Right outside of the ACC and Clemson, you look at the SEC as we know, right? Alabama is the dominant conference, but you'll have LSU at times, you'll have Auburn at times, you'll have Georgia at times. They usually rotate on who is kind of the biggest threat to Alabama. There's always one formidable team standing in Bama's way. When you look at the Big Ten, Ohio State has run that conference, but Michigan got them this year. Pente has got them in the past. Iowa's been a team that has kind of spoiled the party. There's always another team that is always in Ohio State's way that makes it challenging and makes it tough. For the Pac-12, who is that team? Like, who is the team that's going to stand in the way of USC 
running the conference and predominantly winning the Pac-12 title. Oregon just took a big hit because talent-wise, Oregon was the most talented team in the Pac-12. They were recruiting at a great clip. Mario Cristobal did a tremendous job at accumulating talent in Eugene. Well, he goes to Miami. So now, a lot of the talent that was going to Oregon because of him is not going to you know, be the case. Now, some, will go to, some recruits will go to Miami, but a lot of them now, if you want to stay on the West Coast, they're going to go to USC. So the strongest team in the conference took a hit because their head coach left. So I like Utah a lot. Utah's never been an elite-level team. Arizona State, same thing. Oregon, Washington, Stanford, we can go up and down the list. There's no real Pac-12 team out there that's going to pose a threat year in and year out to USC that's going to be able to match the talent that Lincoln Riley is going to bring to Southern Cal in two or three years. So this is going to kind of be like the ACC uh, to Clemson. Pac-12 is going to be for USC. They're for the taking, and they are going to be winning the conference on most years. So they'll be able to get into the playoff, and I think they will have a high ranking just even now, getting into a 14 playoff, but whenever it expands, it's inevitable it's going to expand. The path to the playoff is going to be very, very easy. For Lincoln Riley, so you'll get more cracks at the apple, more bites at the apple, I should say, than I think Ryan Dable, than Jim Harbaugh will, than Brian Kelly will. So for me, that's why I think Lincoln Riley is the next coach to win his first national title. He'll become the sixth active coach in college football uh, to have a championship under his name. Kirby Smart, we saw, just did it. I think uh, Lincoln Riley is the next one to do it. If I couldn't pick Lincoln Riley, I'll go Ryan Day. He's been a tremendous coach at USC. They have, similar to what we kind of talked about uh, with Lincoln Riley, he's been able to reload his team every year. There's no rebuild with Ryan Day at Ohio State. This was supposed to be a quote-unquote down year for the Buckeyes. And I guess technically, <laughs> losing to Michigan, not competing for the Big Ten title, playing in the Rose Bowl, and winning the Rose Bowl is basically equivalent, you know, is equivalent to a down year. No playoff appearance for Ryan Day. C.J. Stroud was a first-time starter, played really well. And you even look at the Rose Bowl game itself. You had two of the best receivers in college football, Chris Olive and Garrett Wilson, opt out not playing. And what happens? Marvin Harrison Jr., three touchdowns. Jackson Smith and Jigba, three touchdowns that sets a bowl record with 347 receiving yards. There is always going to be talent at Ohio State. They continue to reload their team every single year, never rebuild. So even though they lost to Michigan this year, and even though Jim Harbaugh got his number finally for the first time in six years, finally beat Ohio State, Ohio State still runs the Big Ten. Like, let's not, you know, fool ourselves or think this one loss now is going to be the downfall of the Buckeyes. They are still now, you know, going to be a perennial playoff power every single year. I know it's January 13th. I'll be honest, I'm a sucker for this. You look at the two early 2022 top 25, Ohio State's number two. Now, again, a lot of that could change with the transfer portal. If Ryan Day, shockingly, let's say, maybe takes an NFL job, if, if the deal is too good to turn down for a team like the Bears, things could change between now and September 3rd, you know, Labor Day weekend when the season kicks off. But you look at the talent on the roster, what's coming back. Ohio State's projected to be one of the best teams in college football. That's always going to be the case every single year. The thing with Ryan Day, the reason why I still give Lincoln Riley an edge is because, again, I think his path to the playoffs is a little tougher than Lincoln Riley's at USC. The Big Ten is tough. We just saw Michigan knock him off before. It's a grind through the Big Ten. Even if you make it through like you, uh, like Ohio State has it in previous years, it does wear you down. It's a tougher road to hoe. 
because the Big Ten is more a more talented conference and also a deeper conference than the Pac-12. So I do think that's a, a tougher road for uh, for Ryan Day. For Brian Kelly at LSU, another name that I think you could throw out there. I th- you know I think as a, he's a great coach. I am skeptical though of the amount of time he's going to actually be at LSU. Like we know the bar at LSU is so high, it's basically championship or bust every single year that he's not going to get a long leash with the Tigers. Now, not that anything he says or does at LSU in December is going to mean anything in September or October when it comes on the field. But it has been an interesting start to Brian Kelly's tenure with the Tigers. And don't forget, they were they just fired Coach O, who won a national title in 2019. Didn't even finish two full seasons after winning a national title when he was fired. So if you're Brian Kelly, and let's say maybe you make the playoff once in three years, or you don't make the playoff at all in three years, and you lose to Alabama three years in a row, is L- are LSU fans going to be patient? Are they going to be okay and say, oh, Brian Kelly, it's okay. You'll get him next year. He's going to get fired. He needs to have immediate success, or he's already going to be on the hot seat. Which is why I question Brian Kelly if he's going to if he's going to get a long enough leash to be able to make the playoff consistently and get more bites at the apple. Like Lincoln Riley, he has a lifetime contract at, at USC if he wants it. Ryan Day, same thing at Ohio State. He's going to have plenty of time and plenty of chances to continue to get back to the playoff. I don't think Brian Kelly has very many swings. Like I think he has right now, honestly, three years to at least make the playoff, if not even make a national title game. And the pressure is extremely, extremely high in Brian Kelly. He has to get off to a very hot start quickly. So that's why I don't think Brian Kelly will be the next one to win his first uh, national title. And I think Jim Harbaugh, I think he's going to stay at Michigan. I do. I don't think he's going to go back to the NFL. And I do think he can build off of the momentum in 2022. Like, let's look at what Clemson did. The first year Clemson made the couch roll playoff, right? They kind of came out of nowhere. Dabo Sweeney was able to take that, bottle it, and run with it to create a five-year window where Clemson was one of the most dominant teams in college football and won two national titles. I think Michigan can do similar where you can build off of 2021 where you won the Big Ten, where you beat Ohio State, and you made the couch roll playoff. Now, it's still going to be tough because kind of what we talked about with Ohio State, it's a very deep conference, and Ohio State is still the more talented team than Michigan. But I do think that Jim Harbaugh can build a consistent championship-contending level team at Michigan that we haven't seen in, what, two decades since Lloyd Carr was there? Like, Michigan once in a while, you know, once on Blue Moons had a season where it's like, oh, wow, Michigan making a run for it. But now I think Jim Harbaugh can consistently build a winner. Although, until he gets a quarterback, I'm still skeptical if he can win actually a national title. But, again, this past year, I think, really helps the case and really now definitely builds a strong foundation for Jim Harbaugh going forward. So, all you know, there's all good options out here in terms of coaches to win um, their first national title. But I think Lincoln Riley is going to be the guy. Lincoln Riley, USC, will be the guy to win his first national title next. Do you agree? Are you with me? Or is it someone else? Do you have your eye on Brian Kelly? Do you have your eye on Ryan Day at Ohio State? Maybe Mario Cristobal at Miami. Hell, if you want to be super optimistic, if you want to score points with the host, maybe James Franklin at Penn State. All those guys are our worthy candidates. I will, though, go with Lincoln Riley. He has the easiest path to the playoff. I think he has the most talent with him, and he's going to have, on most years, either one of the best or the best quarterbacks in the nation. That is huge 
for winning a national title. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Which t- or which head coach will be the next to win their first national title? Curry Star is the latest doing so on Monday. Who will join that list next? So get your thoughts on when you do return here. Kyrie Irving, is he close to being a full-time player for the Nets? We'll discuss that next. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. 15 minutes now, top of the hour. The best, most attractive head coach opening in the NFL and the least attractive head coach opening in the NFL. Seven jobs open. We will rank them in 15 minutes right here on the Ryan Hickey Show uh, on the Worldwide Sports. Right, Eric, but do want to chat some Brooklyn Nets basketball because, my goodness gracious, last night was impressive. And last night, kind of watching that game, has me certain Kyrie Irving is going to return to the Nets as a full time player right now he's just part-time only playing road games he's unvaccinated can't play at home I think last night kind of shows you and, and gives you hope if you're a Nets fan or just a fan of the NBA that wants to see Kyrie Irving back on the court full-time he is going to return and Adrian Rojanowski before the game last night it was on ESPN reported that there is internal optimism within the Nets that Kyrie Irving at some point this season will be able to return as a full-time player we'd assume that that means he's going to get vaccinated because it doesn't seem like the New York City uh, mandates are going to change anytime soon. But Woj is reporting that, hey, there's optimism within the Nets that Kyrie will, at some point this season, before the playoffs, return as a full-time participant. I think last night, kind of almost, you know, the game itself almost ensures that. Because when you watch this game last night, when you watch the Nets fully healthy with Kyrie, with KD, and with uh, Harden on the court together, they're the best team in the NBA. There's no team this year in the NBA that's beating them for the title. If they are fully healthy, if Kyrie's playing in every game, home and on the road in the playoffs, the Bucs aren't taking them down, the Suns aren't taking them down, the Warriors aren't taking them down, the Jazz, the Grizzlies, the, the Bulls. No team is taking down the Nets this year. And I think now that the Nets have finally allowed Kyrie to play on a part-time basis, give them a little taste, if you will, I think that only makes the urge, only kind of has him thinking about getting the shot and and make it more and more likely that he does to return to a full-time base. Because, look, you could tell it's just been only three games, right? He's returned for three games against the Pacers last week, against the Blazers earlier this week, and yesterday against the Bulls. It's been a short sample size, but he looks like he's having a ton of fun. The Nets themselves, whether it's Harden, whether it's KD, they're playing a lot looser. They're playing a lot freer. And they obviously do uh, appreciate Kyrie's presence back. All season long, they've been talking about the return of Kyrie. They want him on the court. I mean, you look at the minutes both Harden and uh, KD have been playing. They've been top five in terms of minutes per game average. KD's number three earlier this week. That's not what you want. You don't want all those minutes getting logged on to Kevin Durant early in this season. I know we're at the midway point, but you want him fresh for April, May, and June. You don't want to be burning him out now in December and January. So Kyrie Irving's return takes pressure off of Kevin Durant. He didn't play a second in the fourth quarter last night. Why? Because for the first three quarters, they couldn't miss. 
And now you give Kevin Durant time to relax, time to take a load off and get those legs rested. Because again, we saw last year, part of the reason why the Nets were eliminated in the second round wasn't just because of the injuries to Kyrie and Harden. It was also because of Kevin Durant's exhaustion. He carried that team almost single-handedly to Game 7 against the Bucs and almost single-handedly led them past the Bucs into the Eastern Conference Finals. And now when you see this team this year, back fully healthy, Harden now starting to hit his groove after Christmas, Kyrie now starting to play basketball, and pretty seamlessly, after missing the first half of the year, only playing road games, so still having an uneven schedule, pretty seamlessly has kind of filled in nicely. This Nets team is the best team in the NBA when they are fully healthy and when they are at their peak or when they are a full go when everyone's ready to play. So I think that now giving Kyrie that little taste, giving even more importantly maybe Kevin Durant and James Harden that taste of having an elite level basketball team when everyone is there, and you see the results. Like the Bulls last night, who are the top team in the East, had one of the best records in all the NBA. Nets scored a season-high 138 points and won by 26. Won by 26. Blew them out. Dominated that game since halftime. And again, we're scoring at will. Had an incredible third quarter. So if you get a taste of what life is like when everyone is back on the court and playing the way they should be, if you're Kevin Durant, if you're James Harden, how do you not tell Kyrie, let's go? You see what I'm seeing here. You see how good we are when you're on the court. What are we waiting for? I mean, James Harden yesterday in the, in the post-game press conference kind of joked that, hey, if i got to give Kyrie the shot myself, I'll do it. You know, in the past, the company line from Kevin Durant, from James Harden was, it's a personal choice or I'm not going to pressure Kyrie into doing it. I do think now, maybe not direct pressure, but almost kind of try to influence Kyrie when you see how good, you know, this team is. We see how much fun all three have playing together. I think it does influence and kind of factor into Kyrie's mind. You know what? This is a lot of fun. I want to do this all the time. The one thing that's preventing me from not doing this is just a little needle in the arm. I'll do it. I do think allowing Kyrie to come back on a part-time basis is the smartest thing the Nets could have done. Not only does it save Kevin Durant and James Harden some minutes on road games, like, you know, at this point in the season, I think it also increases the urge, increases maybe the sense of urgency for Kyrie to return to the court. Because you can't tell me if you're the Nets, if you're Kevin Durant, if you're James Harden, you see the way they play like this fully healthy. And going into the postseason, they'll be okay with Kyrie playing half the games. They'll be okay going to a game six, maybe up 3-2 or down 3-2. Okay with Kyrie sitting out the game because it's at home. No. You look at this group. They're not ancient. They're not old. But they are getting older. This is one of maybe the best chances this group is ever going to have at winning a title together. You can't let that, you know, go by the wayside. You can't blow that. I know Kevin Durant's already under contract, and most likely probably Kyrie and James Harden will as well after the season. But again, there's no guarantees. No, you can't lock in, especially with the NBA and the way players, you know, move and get hurt and how injuries affect us. You can't waste a season like this and throw it down the toilet because of a vaccination rule. I do think now playing is going to get Kyrie closer and closer to the court. And I do think it's going to get him closer and closer to being a full-time player. I anticipate at the latest, by the postseason, by round one of the Eastern Conference, you know, first round of the playoffs, that Kyrie will be back on a full-time basis. 
He'll be back with the Nets playing both home and road games. I don't think that they are now going to let this great play, this sneak into what could be, you know, be the reason why, or, or just kind of let it go and say, ah, you know what, it's okay. I mean, this trio's only played, you ready for it? They've been together now for a year and a half. They've only played 16 games together. You know what their record is in the 16 games? They're 13-3. and three. Again, healthy. When they are on the court together, they are one of the best, if not the, they are. You know, screw it. They are the best team in the NBA. So why would you let that go by the wayside? Why would you blow a huge attempt at winning a championship if you're Kevin Durant on your own or with a team you built? If you're Kyrie Irving now, win a team with your Brooklyn Nets. And if you're James Harden, win a title for the first time in your career. There's a lot on the line for each of these three players. And I do think now getting a taste, having a game like last night, where you go against one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, one of the best teams so far this season in the NBA, and you win. I know the Bulls had some injuries. You know, Alex Caruso wasn't there, and some of the defense was lacking. But you win by 26 points on the road. Score is season-high 138, and you're going to be okay with just, yeah, you know, okay, Kyrie, home game, guess it out. Playoff time, game five, it's okay, you're sitting out. No big deal, we'll still try to win this one out you. After the season, if you don't make, if you don't win the title, yeah, it's okay. You know, Kyrie didn't get the shot. Maybe that's the reason why we didn't win the championship. That's okay, though. We'll get him next year. Absolutely not. These opportunities do not come around often. You cannot blow it if you're the Nets, and I don't think they will. I don't think they will. I think yeah, a game like yesterday cements the fact that at some point before the playoffs start, they will be fully healthy and have every single player um, eligible for every single game. What a game last night. The Nets, man, they talk about scary hours. That was scary last night, how they just dominated. Took off in the third quarter. Couldn't miss. And it was curtains just like that. It's very Warriors-esque. Where you play close, you play close, you play close. All of a sudden, a 10-minute spurt happens. And all of a sudden, you, you know you go from tied at 71 like the game was last night to the Nets going to 20-6 run before you can even blink. Like, what the hell? It was just tied. Now it's a 14-point deficit. The Warriors were kings at doing that year in, year in, and year out when they were, you know, had KD, had Steph, and Clay. Keep it close, keep it close, keep it close. All of a sudden, five minutes later, they go on a, you know, 15 to 2 scoring run and the game's over. That's what the Nets are like when Kyrie, KD, and Harden are on the floor. I think that kind of peak, that window into what could be, will be the reason why Kyrie eventually will return to the Nets as a full time player. When you return, speaking of full time, which full-time head coach opening is the most attractive? What is the best now job that's open on the market in the NFL? And what's the worst job in the NFL? We got seven openings and seven rankings. We'll go seven to one, worst to best, least to greatest. When we do returning on the Ryan Key Show, five, not even three minutes, we'll return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 20 minutes from now, Hickey's Pickies, with a man I am very, very excited to have on. A big football fan, not a huge American football guy, but to be fair to him, did finish in second place 
in our fantasy football league. So that is Christian Maldonado. He will join us in a few minutes from now. But before that, as a reminder, the 10 o'clock hour on the Ryan Show is always sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions. Should make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. We have seven head coach openings in the NFL, right? The Raiders, Broncos, Dolphins, Giants, Jaguars, Vikings, and Bears. What is the most attractive head coach opening in the NFL? What's the least attractive? Like, which job do coaches want to avoid and it's not really a good one? I have them ranked from seven to one. So I'm curious your thoughts here. What is the best job in the NFL? What is the worst one? We'll start from the worst and we'll work our way up to the best. I think the worst job out of the seven is the Miami Dolphins. A few reasons why I think it's the least attractive job on the market. Number one, Brian Flores was just fired after back-to-back winning seasons. He went 10-6 in 2020, 9-8 in 2021. Now, I understand they did not make the playoffs this year, and they did not make the playoffs in any of the three years he was there. But you look at the Dolphins' recent history. From 2009 to 2018, a 10-year span, the Dolphins had a grand total of just one winning season. That's it. One winning season. So now you look at Brian Flores having back-to-back winning seasons. That still wasn't enough to have him keep his job. So you look at, at what the new head coaches have to come in. Success doesn't equal job security. Usually we think it's pretty easy, cut and dry. You win games, you're around. You lose games, you're fired. Well, for the Dolphins, that's not the case. Success on the field does not equal job security, which is always tough uh, for any new head coach to come in. So that's number one. Number two, usually now, whenever a new head coach is hired, the fan base is always rejoicing. Oh, thank God it's not so-and-so. Thank God we got rid of our old coach. That guy sucked. So thank goodness we got a new guy coming in, a new era's coming. Well, the issue is for the Dolphins, because you had back-to-back winning seasons, because the firing was so surprising, you're still going to have a lot of fans that are comparing the new head coach to the old one in Brian Flores. And again, Brian Flores was 19 and 14 the last two years. So if you're whatever head coach they end up hiring, you are now going to be compared to that, and you're going to have to get off to a quicker start than maybe you normally would in any other job. Because any other job you're taking over, you're most likely starting from the bottom up. So there's usually a grace period. I don't think it's going to be the case for the Dolphins job because, again, you just fired a coach that had two winning seasons. Not to mention... The team you take over, Brian Flores, I think it's safe to say, overachieved with the Dolphins. You look at a lot of the issues this team has. They have quarterback questions. I'm a Tua guy in terms of I think he's got an unfair shake so far. I think he absolutely deserves the 2022 season to be the starter. Um, but that's the, you know, that's the case. That's obviously a very hot-button topic. There's Tua supporters. There's Tua haters. It's a very polarizing player, Tua is, and whether he should be the Dolphins or not. But the reality is, outside of just Tua, the offensive line completely stinks. It's one of the worst, if not the worst, offensive line in the NFL. Run game's invisible. Run game is absolutely invisible. It doesn't exist. There have been some misses in the draft uh, recently from Chris Greer. So there, the, there's still a lot of questions, a lot of remaking to do on the offensive side of the ball. And again, usually when you take over a team, it's a dumpster fire. You get a grace period. Not the case with the Dolphins. So for me, because the head coach is fired in a surprising fashion, the success on the field does not guarantee job security, and you still have a lot of work to do with the roster, I think for me, out of the seven jobs out there, the Dolphins are the least attractive job in the NFL. 
right, I guess, technically above him since we're going from bottom to top, right? Right above him is the New York Giants because their owner, John Mara, is proving to be one of the worst owners in sports. Just look at what he's done recently. About two months ago, he was quoted and there was belief that John Mara thought that, or John Mara, excuse me, thought that Joe Judge was his, you know, basically Bill Belichick equivalent. He was going to be the next Bill Parcells. So he went from thinking that Joe Judge is going to be one of the greatest head coaches in NFL history to six weeks later firing him. That's a quick change of heart. Now, I think it was the right move to fire Joe Judge, personally. But again, you go from thinking you have one of the best guys in NFL history as your head coach to firing him six weeks later, not great. Not to mention, whoever takes over, there's a lot of work to do. This Giants team is a total disaster. Since 2017, they are tied with the Jets for the worst record in the NFL. The Jaguars are better. Um, the Texans are better. The Lions are better at 22 and 58. 22 and 58. The Giants are tied for the worst record since 2017. They are a mess. Questions. There's literally questions everywhere in offense for the new head coach to figure out. Who's your quarterback going to be? Is it going to be Daniel Jones or someone else? What are you going to do with Saquon Barkley? The guy's not lived up to expectations as a number two overall pick. What do you do with receiver? You have some talent there, but no one can stay healthy and get on the field. The offensive line is a total mess. You have questions everywhere. Defense can use playmakers, especially get after the quarterback. So there are so many holes, so many, so many areas to fix on this Giants team. Oh, yeah, by the way, not a lot of patience to get the job done. Each of the last three head coaches, Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, and now Joe Judge, have been fired after two seasons. So you're not going to get a ton of time to turn this team around, to show progress. That's why for me, the Giants are the second worst job only behind the Dolphins. Here's what I think might surprise people. Number five on this list out of seven, I think it's the Raiders. The Raiders have been getting a lot of love this week and the last few weeks, and deservingly so. They've had an incredible season this year. Making the playoffs is, is a borderline miracle with what they've had to overcome. With that said, though, is it sustainable? Do you really look at the Raiders and see this team as a, a playoff team every single year? Do you think they'll be in the playoffs every single year? I don't. Like Derek Carr has been great down the stretch. He's also been there since 2014 and has led the, the Raiders to one other playoff appearance in 2016 where, unfortunately, he broke his ankle late in the year and wasn't able to play in the playoff game. But that was it. He wasn't able to return in 2017 and keep it going. You know, he's had, you know, 2019 to 2020. They've gone up to hot, start, hot starts before falling off. This has been an inconsistent team that's always been able to, or most of the time, been able to fall short of expectations. You look at the division the Raiders are in. Best case scenario. Best case scenario. You have the third best quarterback in your division. Derek Carr is not better than Justin Herbert. He's not better than Patrick Holmes. Now, as you saw on Sunday night, you could still win with a less talented quarterback, but I would believe the, the Chargers are going to strengthen up their team to be better in 2022, and the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Now, again, this is, I say best case because the Broncos, will see what happens with them. Are they higher, or are they are able to trade for Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson? Forget it. Raiders are buried in last. So the roster, I think, is deceiving. Mike Mayock, man, he has swung and missed on some draft picks. That is for sure. So the deck is almost stacked a little bit against you. The defense has a pass rush, but not much else. The secondary is a very suspect uh, group. So if you're the Raiders here, 
You have a, a roster that, for me, is not one you feel terribly excited about if you're a new head coach coming in. I don't think that you can truly expect to be a playoff contending team every single year. But, oh yeah, by the way, kind of talking about the pressure and kind of talking about the expectations like we do with the Dolphins, the Raiders' expectations for the new head coach, whether it's Rich, Rich Passaccia or someone else, are going to be high. Again, this is a playoff team this year. We rarely see playoff teams make head coaching changes. So now the fans are used to saying, okay, Rich Versace, he's our guy. He helps lead us to the playoffs. Whether it is Rich next year, whether it's a new head coach, the expectation is going to be playoffs. That's a high bar to hold. So I don't think the Raiders are a very attractive job to potential head coaches because, again, I think the expectations are high, and I don't think the roster matches the expectations. I don't think the roster is a playoff-caliber roster where they will be in the playoffs every single year and be Super Bowl contenders. I don't. So I don't think this Raiders job is, a, is as attractive as other people are saying. I have them fifth on the list. Number four, I have the Bears. So we're, we're going from seven to one here, the least attractive jobs in the NFL to the most attractive head coaching jobs in the NFL. Before we get the Bears, because you know what they got? They do have a quarterback in Justin Fields. I'm a Justin Fields believer. I think he's going to be a very good NFL quarterback. The issue, though, for the Bears and the new head coaches, you got the quarterback, you don't got much else. Offensive line stinks. That's a very... Very bad offensive line. Allen Robinson, your best receiver, is a free agent. The defense, unfortunately for the Bears, is not timed up where they're aging. Most likely are going to trade Khalil Mack. You got a decision to make about Akeem Hicks. Like, so this is a defense that is really good, but unfortunately is kind of on the wrong side of 30 and not match up with an offense that's going to be on the younger side. So that's tough because you're almost now going to have to rebuild the defense. And, and the defense, by the time the Bears get really good on offense, I don't think the defense will be as good as, as it is right now. And you have a lot of the talented players that are there right now. I don't think they'll be on the team in two to three years. So you had some remaking to do. And I think other jobs in the NFL that we'll get into either have more talent on the team or have more patience from their fan base. So that's why I have the Bears at number four. Number three, I got the Vikings. I think the Vikings right now are a very attractive job because you have an offense that's ready to explode if you get the right quarterback. The reason why the Vikings aren't higher on this list is because that's the tough question to answer. The Vikings don't have a lot of flexibility because of getting a better quarterback in there. Kirk Cousins is what he is. Right? He's a com- I think he's a compiler. He plays really well, puts up some really nice stats against, for the most part, good to bad teams. Right, Good and below. Anytime he plays a very good, great, elite team in the NFL, he shrinks. Or, if he puts up decent stats, it will come in either garbage time or early in the game when it really doesn't tell the whole story. When you need Kirk Cousins to have a big drive in a big moment, for the most part, he has fallen short. Now, this year, to to his credit, he has been clutcher than he has in the past. With that said, though, I still don't trust Kirk Cousins. But when you look at the rest of this offense, it's like I said, I think it's a Super Bowl-caliber offense from everywhere but the quarterback position. You have Dalvin Cook, who, when he's healthy, is arguably a top-five running back in the NFL. He is tremendous when he's on the field and running hard. You have a great receiver duo in Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Tyler Conklin's a, a decent receiver, uh, a decent tight end. He's solid. And this offensive line is, is functional. So I do think you have a lot of pieces in place to really take off and be a very explosive offense. Again, the tricky part is how do you either get out of the Kirk Cousins contract this year or if you write it out for one more year and then he's a free agent, what do you do next year? Obviously, they won't be able to trade for Aaron Rodgers. I think if Russell Wilson is a the guy they absolutely should try to trade for this year. I think Deshaun Watson is a guy you go all in for this year as well. But if not, there's no real clear 
answer to being your quarterback in 2023, 2022 even? That's the big question. But another reason the Vikings are attractive, for me, I do think Aaron Rodgers is getting traded. I think he's going to be, this is his final year in Green Bay, he'll be somewhere else in 2022. With that said, though, or with, with that being the case, well, you have a Minnesota team that's primed to win the NFC North. You're better, obviously, than the Lions. I think you're better than the Bears right now. So this is your division to lose. And I think you're better with the Packers, even though they have a very loaded roster. I think you're better at the Packers if they don't have Aaron Rodgers. And assuming Devonta Adams also leaves in free agency, Devonta Adams. So that's a prime position where you come in and you can win the division right away if you're a new head coach. The biggest question you got to figure out is quarterback. Defense needs some improvements as well. But I do think Minnesota is a job that you can win and win quickly, and that's why they are number three. Number two. Two jobs left. The second most attractive job on the market, I do think, is the Jacksonville Jaguars job. I am really high on this position. If you're a head coach, any name, whether you Doug Peterson and you coach at Super Bowl, whether you're a guy like Kellen Moore looking for your first opportunity, whatever your experience level, whatever your success level is, I would have the Jaguars in my top two for multiple reasons. Number one, if you're hired, your name is not Urban Meyer. This fan base, this organization, the players are going to love you right away because you are not Urban. Just not being Urban Meyer, not being a bad guy, not being a guy who at every turn has made the opposite decision you should make, has made every single bad decision you possibly could do, outside of picking Trevor Lawrence number one, that alone is going to buy you a lot of of goodwill, a lot of patience, a lot of buy-in from ownership, from front office, from players, from the fans. So right away, you will be celebrated as a hero because you are not the former head coach in Urban Meyer. That's one thing. Number two, you got Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, I understand, has had a, a, we'll say, rocky year number one. He's had a lot to deal with, but I think the final game against the Colts shows you this guy is really damn good. Figure out the offensive line. If you can get some protection like they, they were able to have in the final game against the Colts, when Trevor Lawrence can throw the ball, he's really damn good. The receivers now are getting separation. They're making plays for Trevor Lawrence. This team and this quarterback is really freaking good if you give him a chance to set his feet, to not roll out of the pocket, give him time to read defense and throw the ball. So I think Trevor Lawrence is obviously a huge plus for any quarterback or any coach coming in. you got the quarterback. you got the number one overall pick, so you were able to add a a big-time impact player. I would go defense, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau. That's just me, or, or Evan Neal, maybe go offensive line. But either way, you're going to get an impact player right away, get the number one overall pick. You get the third most cap space in 2022 of any team. So again, you could build the team through free agency and bring some talent into Jacksonville. You have a patient owner. You have a patient fan base. The division you're in in the AFC South is not impossible. Right? Like We just saw the Jaguars own the Colts, so they're able ever able to figure it out. That's still a team that are that owns real estate in the Colts' head. The Texans stink. And the Titans, I don't think, are unformidable. I don't think that they are a juggernaut the way the Patriots ran the AFC East, the way the backers, uh, the Packers have run the NFC North. Like That, to me, is still a winnable division when, when the Jaguars get things rolling. And you got some good young players in defense. There's a lot, to me, working and, and that goes well with this Jacksonville team. Second most attractive job in the NFL. Number one, I go the Broncos. This team is legitimately a Super Bowl or a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. So obviously, if you can get Aaron Rodgers, if you can get Russell Wilson, if you can get Deshaun Watson, 
you are right there with the Chiefs in the AFC, not just in the AFC West, in the AFC in, in totality. You hop over the Bills, you hop over the Bengals, you hop over the, the Patriots, you are the the the, Tex, uh, the Titans, you are right there kind of the 1A team with the Chiefs in the AFC and legitimate Super Bowl contenders. You got a great group of wide receivers that are still young, an offensive line that's building, you got a defense loaded with talent. This, to me, the Broncos in 2022 feel a lot like the Buccaneers in 2020. They had a lot of talent. They were kind of just middle of the pack because their quarterback play was not very good. All of a sudden, they got Tom Brady. They go in the Super Bowl. Again, you got to get an elite-level quarterback if you're Denver, but if you can get one of the big three quarterbacks to go your way to Denver, they are, to me, the Buccaneers. They are the Buccaneers of the NFC. All of a sudden, overnight Super Bowl contenders and Super Bowl favorites. That's right for me. I have the Broncos job at number one. Now it's tough, right? Because if you don't get those three guys, there's not a lot of options for you to, to truly get the most out of this team. But if you are able to win the jackpot, look out. Super Bowl contender. No other team, I think right now that's open, can say to themselves they are one, one player away from being Super Bowl contenders. That's right for me. Broncos, number one, the most attractive job in the NFL. If you're a head coach, the Dolphins, to me, are the least attractive. So get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. What is the, what is the best head coach opening in the NFL? Which job is the best that's open right now in the NFL? Which is the worst? Which job, if you're a head coach, say, I oh, probably want to avoid that one. And get your thoughts when we return here. And also when we return, it is time for Hickey's Pickies. Christian Maldonado will join us, the fantasy football guru for at least 2021 we'll get his thoughts on every single wild card game an extra edition of hickey's pickies with an extra game we'll do that when we return it's the ryan hickey show right here on the worldwide sports radio network it is the worldwide sports radio network welcome back to the ryan hickey show right here on the worldwide sports radio network Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The NFL regular season has commenced. We do want to congratulate at least the 2021 regular season champion. That is Preston Rooksbury Carmines. Six and one effort for Rooks. We did not have a, a perfect champ like we did with Lauren last year when she went 5-0. and but 6-1 and one is very damn impressive. So we give a lot of credit to Rooks. We congratulate him for being the regular season Hickey's Pickies champion. But now, it's playoff time. This is where the big-time performers go to shine. This is where the big-time performers show up in the big moment. It's a super wild card weekend. So it's a super edition of Hickey's Pickies. Normally, we do five games. We're doing six. We're doing all six wild card games. And we welcome in a man I'm very excited for, a big football aficionado, but also a big fantasy football aficionado, number two, second place finisher in this past year's fantasy football league that we are both a part of. That is Christian Maldonado. Mald, what's up, man? Hey, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yo, thanks for, first of all, making some time. I just, you know, you just told me before, this is your first day back in the office in a very long time. So we're trying not to get you fired today, but I appreciate the dedication <laughs> that you are going to risk hey. your job for Hickey's Pickies. You, you can't beat that. Got to risk it, man. Got to risk it all. <laughs> I think that deserves like a bonus point or two right there for just putting your jobs, job security 
on the line <laughs> just to get some picks. I'll take any points I can get here. Now, Maul, you are a smart man. Do you remember what happened last year in the 2020 version of Hickey's Pickies for you? Uh, I'd try to forget, but I think that was, what, one and five? <laughs> one and four. It did not go well, but you know four. what? That's a good thing because now it's almost, you know, knock on wood, it's almost impossible to go one and four again. So you can really, for the most part, only go up. So 2022 is going to be a huge positive for you, I think. My redemption story, baby. You already finished second place in fantasy football this year, your highest finish ever. So I think we can carry that success over to, to the picks here, I think. Let's do it. All right. First game of the weekend, Mauled, Raiders at Bengals. Cincinnati, Joe Burrow's been obviously tremendous this year. The Raiders, a miracle story making the playoffs, winning as we know. And Well, I will say the, the Raiders ruining the tie and what could have been really screwed a lot of people over. So I'm not a big Raiders fan of them all. But to their credit, they won the game. They're in the playoffs. Raiders are getting five and a half points on the road here. Going Las Vegas, going Cincinnati, Mauled. I I'm taking the points here. Oh, I'm taking the points here. Going with the Raiders. Uh, loving my guy Hunter Renfro. Help me get into the finals <laughs> this year. <laughs> okay, I like that. So go going with my people. You know what? I like your strategy. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Hunter Renfro helped get you into the fantasy football finals. Now I wish you'd be Joe. That's a whole other story. Oh, God. I, the last pressure I wanted to lose to. Tell me about it. And I lost him in the semifinals. So we both have that oh. in common. Yeah. But I like it. You, you roll with a guy who helped you get to the finals, have your best fantasy football season ever. So why not continue to roll with this team? The Vegas Raiders, I like it, plus five and a half. I'm going to go with the Bengals here for two reasons, Maul. Number one, Joe Burrow's played his best games in the big moment this year. I think that continues. I think he'll have a big game on Saturday and keep the guy keep it rolling and they win handily. Also number two, like I said, I, I'm not a big Raiders fan at the moment. They ruined the only time you're a big soccer fan, so you know all about the ties. This is the only time on Sunday night I think everyone in America was collectively rooting for a tie. Rooting for the teams not to play the game. And you know what the Raiders said? They said, screw it, we're playing the game. Now I understand the Chargers <laughs> also decided to play the game, so we could be mad at them too. But the Raiders ruined what America wanted. The only time Americans will ever root for a tie, and the Raiders said, ah, screw that. We're going to win the game. <laughs> so you know what? Screw the Raiders. I hope they lose this week, and I hope they get sent home. So I will go with the <laughs> Bengals minus five and a half. Always objective right, here, Maul. Right. We don't let any biases enter in the picks. Of course. No, never any biases. <laughs> <laughs> Only serious stuff here. How about a big AFC East rivalry, Maul? Patriots at the Bills. Third time these teams are playing in six games. It is a... A team, two teams that are very familiar with each other in Buffalo. It's going to be freezing cold. I don't know if you saw the weather mold. It's going to be like zero degrees. It's going yeah. to be frigid. But what else? It's Buffalo in January. Patriots on the road are getting four points. Where are you going here? You know, I mean, I think Patriots playing some cold weather in the Northeast anyway. So I don't think that's going to affect them too much. But I am going Bills here, minus four. Bills Mafia, you're gonna go through a table on next Saturday to to oh. cheer on your pick. Where's Where's Jordan? Where's Lee in the table? <laughs> That's true. Maldi has already <laughs> thrown someone through the table at a grad party. That the the neighbor whose table was, let's just say, is probably <laughs> this was what, like five years ago. Probably still hates you. You probably can't Something show like your that, face yeah. in, in that neighborhood <laughs> still. <laughs> Never allowed back. A permanent ban from a town. That's what Christian Maldi and I was facing. So I like it. Bills Mafia five years ago. You're going Bills Mafia to, uh, th this weekend, rolling with your crew. I hate to say it, I'm going to go with the Patriots here. 
I think the wow. cold weather – I think the Bills will win the game. I think it's going to be a very close game. Two teams that know each other very well. And Josh Allen in the cold. Not all those change pick models. Josh Allen in his career, he has played in five games where the temperature has been below 31. Now, he's 3-2, and two, so he's won more than he's lost. But his six touchdown passes, seven picks. Not playing great. Not that Mac Jones has played well either. But I think the, the Patriots are a more balanced team, and I think they'll be able to keep it close and use the weather to their advantage. Like I said, I think the Bills in the end will win. But I'll take the Patriots plus four to keep this game close here in a division rival game in a game where Mother Nature will, will make it freezing. I think that will be an equalizer, keep the game close. But Bills win, but I will go Patriots cover. A game where there will be no weather impacting, and that is down in Tampa Bay. Eagles at the Bucks. Eagles, eight and a half point underdogs facing Tom Brady. No Antonio Brown, obviously, after what happened mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. No Chris Goblin as well. Malt, does Tom Brady, the GOAT, keep a rolling here? Are the birds, are they going to you know pull an upset or keep it close? Well, first, uh, just... Uh... I don't want to curse on your show, but Antonio Brown just absolutely ruined me in the finals there. <laughs> absolutely ruined me. Solid four points, walks off the field, takes his clothes off. Wait like, a second. Uh, that, so the dates, once I, I'll be honest, once I lost, I checked out. The final, the fantasy football final was the day Antonio Brown had yep. his meltdown. <laughs> yes. And he was in my starting lineup. Um, how many <laughs> points did you lose by? Oh God! It, even if he played well, it wouldn't. Oh, have. okay. Well, even I, I wish had, you. He, he, unless he threw up a fifty burger, I was I oh. was hopeless. It would have been better if you lost by like five points, something like that. And he really. Oh my screwed. God, bro! <laughs> I honestly, I think I would have wrote him as strongly. Well <laughs> Man, so Antonio Brown got yeah. you in the finals. His tyrant ruins me. Holy but, smokes! You know. Uh, again, all biases aside, I can't stand the Philadelphia Eagles, so I'm going with the Bucks. Okay, I like that. Almost a, a double bias working there. Antonio <laughs> Brown hates you, but you hate the Eagles more than Antonio Brown. I do. I do. I like it. I am also with you. I'm going with the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have a really good run defense. I think the Eagles really like to run the ball. I don't think they'll be able to have a lot of success on the ground. We're seeing Jalen Hurts have to throw the ball a ton. I don't like that if Jalen Hurts have to throw the ball a ton. We saw it early in the year. They threw, 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 and the Eagles were 2-5. and five. Not the recipe for success for Philly. I think that's the only way they're going to have to try to win, and I do think I'm with you there. Buccaneers, minus 8.5, do cover the spread at home. Here's a one. Here's a great game. 49ers at the Cowboys. 49ers are red hot. Incredible comeback last week to get into the playoffs. Cowboys blew at the Eagles in a Week 18 game on Saturday that you know, the Eagles didn't really take seriously. So we'll take that with, with what you will. 49ers, three-point underdogs on the road at Dallas Malls. Where are we going? Um, so this one was a little tough, this one. So I, I'm actually in a, in a fantasy pool with my girlfriend and all her family. So, you know, you select a win, uh, winner on the spread each week for every game. Every time I've picked the 49ers, they have absolutely screwed me. Oh. So I'm going, I'm going Cowboys here, minus three. I like it. I like the vendetta coming back. Now, let me ask you this. Do you and Allie, your girlfriend, are you on the same team? Or are you picking separately? We are picking separately, and I'm not going to tell you who's okay. winning right now. I think that answers the question. I think okay. you can. Yeah, that answers the question. We should have had her on the show, probably instead of you. <laughs> Honestly, probably should have. She's in third place. <laughs> oh, my God. We won't, yeah. <laughs> I won't even ask where you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh boy, that well, that, <laughs> folks, if if no one should ever bet on these picks, but if that's the case, that Maldi Maldi just revealing that should not uh, should not really get any to my own picks. Yeah, exactly for sure. <laughs> Well, that makes me feel better about my pick of going with San Francisco. Then they have Scrooge all year, uh, all year long. Uh, you know, what? I'll take the I'll take the Scrooge job to continue. You're picking the Cowboys. I think the 49ers will screw you by not picking them. I'm not. An, I don't know about you, Mauls. I don't really love this Cowboys team. Like, I feel like they're a little overrated. So I feel like they're very hit or miss. They are. They absolutely are. Right. They either have a, a great game and sure, it's sometimes against yeah. the Washington Football Team or against the Eagles team that's sitting everyone. Exactly. Exactly. But it's like when they play good playoff caliber teams, I feel like they don't like they shrink in the moment. Even like the Giants, you're a Giants fan, right? You saw the like they they played the Giants few weeks ago in MetLife with where 75% Cowboys fans. The Giants season's mailed already in. Joe Judge is QB sneaking from the two yard line, and they you know they won 21 to six. It's very underwhelming performance. I feel like they really haven't right, to your point, kind of given you a lot, and really are kind of hit or miss. So I will go yeah. 49ers here. I think they'll win outright. Fair to just cover the spread. I think they do win this game. Dallas is not impressed with me, but you will go the Cowboys at home minus three to spite the 49ers. Bald, the yep. biggest spread of the weekend here. The maybe the game that arguably could be the biggest blowout. Steelers at the Chiefs. Steelers are 12 and a half point underdogs on the road in Kansas City. That's a big number. Can Kansas City cover the spread? Or you think will the Steelers keep it close here? That's that's a big number, and I, I do want to take the Steelers, but I feel like the Chiefs can actually ruin them. Um, so I'm, I'm still back and forth on this one. Um, I don't know if, if uh, Big Ben is going to want to go out getting absolutely slaughtered in his last game. So True. Um, I want to go Steelers, but like oh. I also just I, I do think the Chiefs are just going to absolutely run them over. So, final answer, I'm going Chiefs minus 12 and a half. Chiefs minus 12 and a half. I am with you there as well. The Steelers just are so frustrating they're not a very good team. To your point, sure, no. Big Bennett is on it. Probably he's, he's, definitely, he's definitely playing his final game. They're going to need a miracle win this game. But it's like they mm-hmm. throw the ball three yards past the line of scrimmage. They don't really throw the ball deep. Their, their offense is, is really hard to watch. Their defense is... They get a good pass rush. You know, T.J. Watt has been tremendous this season, but they don't really do a lot of things well outside of that. The, the, these two teams played a few weeks ago. It was 23-0 at halftime. The Chiefs already won the game. It's it already in the bag. I think it's going to happen again here. I don't think Kansas City is going to take their foot off the gas. I don't think Kansas City is anything to worry about. I think they will blow the doors off the Steelers, and Big Ben will ride out into the sunset on... <laughs> I don't want to say a low note because it's kind of a miracle they made the playoffs in the first place, but... It's going to be a, a tough game, a tough game for Big Ben, leaving Arrowhead Stadium for the final yep. time. All right, so we're both on the Chiefs, minus 12.5. That's, that's never a good. We're both in agreement there. Final game, Wald, <laughs> a Monday night special here in NFC West Divisional game. Cardinals at the Rams. Both teams kind of limp it to the finish here. Cardinals on the road in SoFi Stadium will be getting 3.5 points. Going the Cardinals here or the Rams? So I think I think the Cardinals are another team like the Cowboys kind of been hit or miss. They they've lost games they really shouldn't have when they've you know put in good performances against good teams. So I think I'm they're, I'm not gonna say they're frauds, but I'm, I'm gonna go Rams minus three. Wow, you're gonna say the F word. Say the F word. Frauds. 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 
frauds. Frauds. Cardinals are frauds. I am with you there. Now, I'll be honest. The Rams exactly don't inspire a ton of confidence with how they played. Right, yeah. But, I, like, I'm with, like, the Cardinals got to such a hot start. And I feel like this is, like, who their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, is. Like, he goes off to great starts, and then he just flops at the finish. Even, like, last week. Completely died down. Maul, they were at home last week in the final game of the season. They still could have won the division. If the Rams lost, which the Rams did lose, if the Cardinals beat the hapless Seahawks at home, they are division champs, and this game is at home. And instead, Russell Wilson, I think, playing his final game with the Seahawks. The Seahawks just don't inspire any confidence. Their offense has been kind of kind of blah all season long, especially since Russell Wilson got hurt. And they lose to Seattle and allow 38 points in the process. Like, that's a game where you just have to win. They beat the Cowboys two weeks ago, which I thought was very surprising. I, I picked the Cowboys to win, and I thought, even though the Cowboys are not a big believer, the Cardinals just on a, on a tailspin where they were not going to get out of it. They get an impressive win on the road in Dallas, and they followed up by laying an egg in the final game where they could have won the division. I'm with you. Frauds. Total frauds. I'm taking the Rams at home, minus three and a half. Rams are going to win this game. So we are in agreement here on a few picks. We're both on the Rams, minus three and a half. We're both on the Chiefs, minus 12 and a half. You are on the Cowboys minus three. I'll take the 49ers. We are both on the Buccaneers minus eight and a half. You're on the Bills minus four. I'll take the Patriots plus four. And finally, you are on the Raiders plus five and a half. I will take the Bengals. Mauled, man. This is a blast having you on. I don't want to keep you too long because I don't want to get you fired from you know, your job on, the, on the, one of the first days you return to the office. <laughs> but I will say, this is a, this is a six gamer. This is a, a big uh, spread that usually we only go five games. So this is... Yeah. Yeah, I think you already got a bonus point for again risking your job security by joining us here. And now, you know, I think things are after last year, I think this is a big t- reversal of the tides. I think a big year is coming for you. 2022, the year so. of Christian yeah, Maldonado. Second place in fantasy. Go what? Let's see. Let's say go 4 and 2 here. Okay. And uh let's lock in that in 4 and 2. Locking it in, he's calling a shot. You know what I like about you Maldonado, everyone, you know, I don't blame him cuz I do the same thing. A lot of people go we're going 5 and 0, we're going 6 and 0, we're going undefeated. <laughs> Mulder goes, I'm sure for 42 here. I don't need to have a perfect season. I just want to have a winning record. Hey, I couldn't come in first place in fantasy. Not going to do it here. So, Very fair. Keeping the bar Realistic. reasonable. That's, that's why I love you, Mulder. That's what I love it. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate the time of and uh, best of luck. Thanks for having me on. Always a, always a blast. The football expert himself, Christian Maldonado. The fantasy football Second place finisher. Things are looking up for Maldi in 2022. The year of the Christian Maldonado is what I heard 2022 is. So we appreciate him coming on here. We'll see how the picks go. Fingers crossed. They are good. When we return here, we'll finish up. Speaking of Wild Card Weekend, which underdog is going to flat out win? Which favorite is in the biggest trouble of going home and getting sent home early? We'll do that when we return. It's the Ryan Key Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We appreciate Maldi, Christian Maldonado, Carving out some time from work to join us here on Hickey's Pickies to give us our wild card edition, super wild card weekend here of Hickey's Pickies. So we'll get those put up on social media. We we'll also put the final regular season standings on Twitter as well to let you know who did well and who are the ones who uh, struggle with the picks. 
Uh, here's a hint. I will not be in the well category. That is for sure. Speaking of well, who won't be well? Which favorite will not do well this weekend in wildcard weekend? I think there is one underdog that is absolutely locks to win. And it's the 49ers. I think the 49ers are going into Dallas and beating the Cowboys. I love the way the 49ers are playing football right now. I think they're a bad matchup for Dallas. I think what the 49ers do really well. Obviously, they are a run-heavy offense. They have explosiveness through the run game. That sets up Jimmy Garoppolo to make a few throws a game like he was able to do last week uh, against the Rams. But you look at what this run offense is able to do. I think they'll be able to run up and down the field on the Cowboys defense. The Cowboys defense got a lot of attention this year, and rightfully so, right? Last year in 2020, they were one of the worst units in the NFL. They were god-awful. And to Dan Quinn's credit, excuse me, coming on in, turning this defense around, they have now really worked themselves to be a, a obviously way better than last year, year's defense. But the thing, though, is for Dallas, the reason why they've gotten a lot of attention is because they forced a ton of turnovers. But they're not that great at actually just flat-out stopping teams. They do rely on turnovers to kind of change the tide and help them get stops, and that concerns me. Like, look at their turnover differential. They're a plus-14 turnover differential, tied for first in the NFL. They have the most turnovers uh, forced in the NFL. They are tremendous at doing so. The thing that concerns me, though, is if you can't force turnovers against the 49ers, how are they getting stops? I don't think they are. They're just 19th in total defense. So again, they have turned the corner big time from 2020 to 2021. They're not 32nd or 31st or historically bad in terms of pass defense like they were last year. They were really, really bad last year. So this year it's turned around, but it's still not great. It's still not a unit I feel you can rely on to win you a playoff game to slow down a, a, an explosive offense like San Francisco is bringing into Dallas. So if you're not forcing turnovers, if you're not getting a Jimmy G pick or a fumble, I don't think Dallas is getting many stops. And that is evident by, again, their 19th in total defense. So sure, they create turnovers better than almost any team and almost any defense in the NFL. But if they're not getting the turnovers, they're not getting stops. So that does concern me. I think 40, the 49ers in San Francisco would be able to have a, a solid run attack going. And not to mention, if San Francisco is scoring, if Jimmy G's throwing some nice passes, Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell running on the ground, and they're putting up points, can Dallas's offense keep up? It's a weird answer, frankly, maybe on the surface, a stupid question to ask. We're talking about one of the best offenses in the NFL, one of the highest scoring offenses in the NFL, total offense. All the stats show Dallas is one of the best offenses in the NFL. But here's the reality. The reality is Dallas has not really been a formidable offense since the bye week. Since week six, they have really not been consistent and they have not been as explosive as the numbers would suggest. The first six weeks of the season, in five of those first six games, Dallas scored at least 29 or more points in five out of the six. Five out of the six, almost every game, right? Before the break to start the season off, they were scoring a ton of points on offense. Since the bye week, again, that was week seven was the bye week. So the first six weeks of the season, five out of six games, 29 or more points in five out of six. Since the bye week, 11 games, they have scored 29 or more points just four times. Four times in 11 games. They have really bogged down. They have really um, come back down to earth. And two out of those four games where they've scored a ton of points have been against non-playoff or, or 
unplayoff caliber defenses. And the Washington football team, where they saw they, you know, they hung four, uh, 56, and they put a number on, on Philly last week, but Philly rested a lot of their guys. Philly kind of waved the white flag on that game. So I'm not going to sit here and feel confident and feel good about Dallas's offense going to the playoffs because I don't think they can score in a playoff caliber defense. I don't think they can. The numbers show you that. Dak Prescott, before the bye and after the bye, he has regressed in passing yards per game, in completion percentage, and passer rating. He has gotten worse since the beginning of the season. And if he's not playing well, again, the run game is solid, but it hasn't been as explosive as you would like. And even with all the weapons, even without Michael Gallup, there's still enough weapons there for Dak to have success. And for the most part in the second half of the season, the final 11 games of the year, he has struggled. He's absolutely struggled. There's no way else to, to, to talk about it. So I think that's going to be trouble for Dallas, and I think we'll see it on Sunday. I think the 49ers, because of their ability to run the ball and control the time possession and kind of control the flow of the game, plus I don't trust the Cowboys offense to be able to keep up with San Francisco's offense, I think the 49ers are winning this game. Going on the road to Dallas, three-point underdogs, they are winning this game and getting the upset. Now the team I think that has the most pressure on them to win on the wild card weekend is the Bills. Like, obviously, a lot of teams, the Rams have pressure because you get Matthew Stafford and you want to, you know, have it work out. Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals have pressure after the hot start they got off to. The Cowboys have pressure to win at home and win a playoff game. We know Jerry Jones is desperate for the playoffs. I think no team has more pressure on them this wild card weekend than the Buffalo Bills. For a few reasons. Number one, the opponent you're playing is the New England Patriots. Since last year, when Tom Brady left to go to Tampa Bay, this was now supposed to be the time for the Bills to take over the AFCs. Now, to their credit, they've won back-to-back AFCs titles. But you split so far with the Patriots in the first two matchups, and now you're hosting them in the playoffs. You cannot lose to the team that you were supposed to reign supreme over. You are supposed to take the baton from. Because guess what? Even though you won the AFC East, even though you're playing the game in Buffalo, if the Patriots go into uh, Buffalo and win the game, they are still the team to beat in the AFC East. They still run the division. They still own you. So that's why it's a very important game for Buffalo. They were supposed to take a big leap this year. right? 2020, Josh Allen was incredible. 2021 is supposed to be the year that they get to the Super Bowl. They were a popular Super Bowl pick. It's not trying to brag here, but this is for me just trying to shed reality on the situation. I was not a believer in Buffalo. I did not have them going to the Super Bowl. I did not have them even, you know, being the, the top competitor to the Chiefs in the AFC. They should have been, and a lot of people predicted them to be, but they haven't so far this year. And there's a big reason for it. Lack of balance. This season has become the Buffalo Josh Allen. That's what you should call them. They're not the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Josh Allens. Because unfortunately for him, a lot of pressure has now been put on Josh Allen to win the Bills the game. The running game has been non-existent and unreliable. And the defense, frankly, is fraudulent. I'm calling it for what it is. The Buffalo Bills defense is similar to the Cowboys offense where the stats should show you they are the league leaders and top of the list in stats, terms of points per game, terms of yards per game allowed. But they truly, when they play playoff games, do not play like one of the best defenses in the NFL. We saw it a few weeks ago when New England came to Buffalo the first time, ran the ball down their throat, ran for 200 yards when the Bills knew the run was coming, still couldn't stop it. That's concerning. Buffalo got scorched by uh, Tampa Bay, got scorched by the Colts. Anytime they have played a playoff caliber team, their defense has come up small. And I don't think that's going to, you know, 
that's now I should say puts a lot of pressure on Josh Allen to get the game, uh, get the job done. So the Bills may have the most pressure. You got to win this game on Sunday or on Saturday night. Excuse me. Even if you don't make it to the Super Bowl, hell, even if you lose in the next round, whether it's to the Chiefs, whether it's to the Titans, I think that at least it is leaves a better taste in Bills' mouths. Even though again the expectation this year was Super Bowl, even though the hope and the thought was Josh Allen MVP, Bills Super Bowl. Let's go. I think it's easier to stomach a second-round exit to the Chiefs or the Titans than it is to lose at home in the wild card game to the Patriots, to a rookie quarterback who is, and the Patriots are 1-3, by the way, in the last four games. So they are not the same Patriots team that we saw early in the year where they rattled off seven in a row, and at one point were tops in the AFC. They've hit a wall. Mac Jones hit a rookie, uh, hit a rookie wall. You can't win this game. It's a lot of concern, and that's a lot of issues Bills going to have to worry about going into the uh, offseason. So that's why, for me, the Bills have the most pressure on them this weekend to win. Be a blast. I cannot wait for Wild Card Weekend. Six games. I love the format. I don't know about you. I love the Monday night game. I love expanding it out to three nights. I do like uh, more playoff football, so I love the playoff expansion. And I'm super, super excited to watch all Saturday, all Sunday, and Monday night as well. So enjoy the games. It's going to be a great weekend for sure. We'll be back on Monday, of course, to break it all down for you. So enjoy Saturday. Enjoy Sunday. Have a tremendous weekend. We'll break it down, and we'll get you ready for Monday Night Football, Cardinals, and Rams as well on Monday's show. So have a great weekend. As always, stay safe. Stay sane. We'll talk to you on Monday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.